Hello, my love, and welcome to this week's episode of The Sunshine Project. My name is Chloe, and I am so stoked that you're here. If you've listened to the last few episodes, then you know that this podcast is meant to feel like a dear friend sitting across the table from you, speaking with you about all of the things you want to speak about. And this week, we are talking about money. This episode is set to be a bit of a longer one because I have some very handy tips and tricks up my sleeve for you. It is quite a practical chat between you and I, so get your notebook ready. Now, look, I'm not going to bang on about the cosy lives or the cost of living crisis if you're not a millennial or a Gen Z. Because every time we turn on the news, every time we scroll down our social media feeds, I feel like all of that is made quite obvious to us. Times are tough right now for a lot of people. And the truth is that times are tough for a lot of people all of the time. You might be one of the many people who's having a tricky time financially at the moment, or you might be feeling okay for the first time in a long time. And both of those are valid. Both of them are okay, but we're still going to talk about how to bring a little bit of sunshine into your life when it comes to all things cold, hard cash. I mean, I personally have been in places where I could give away $5,000 quite spontaneously in $25 Woolies gift vouchers to my Instagram followers, and I've been in a place where I have scrounged through couch cushions for gold coins. I'm back. It's not like you make it to one place and you never revisit the other. I mean, obviously, that's the dream, but it's not real life. We can't predict what's going to happen and change is always coming. So I have collected a whole range of tips and tricks that I've learned to make the most of our pennies. I'm going to be talking about the incoming and the outgoing and how to hang on to what you've got. Before I start, I think I legally have to do a disclaimer in this one. This is not financial advice. This is, again, two friends having a chat. Please feel free to answer anytime I speak to you. None of this is financial advice. I am not a qualified financial advisor. Again, this is just two friends sitting across the table talking to one another. A lot of the talking is going to be on my end, but that does bring me to this week's mindful moment, which is how we always start these episodes. So grab your cuppa, sit back, relax, and let's get into that. It seems like everywhere we look, people are talking about money. How to make it, how to keep it, how not to throw it all away. And two things can be true at the same time. One of them is that money does not buy happiness. We can't buy the feelings that we get from spending time in the sunshine or being around people that we love. But it is also important to note that financial stress can feel all-consuming. And that can feel like the opposite of happiness. I want you to know that wherever you're at in your financial journey right now, you deserve to feel safe and comfortable and free when it comes to your money. 
You deserve not to be consumed by it, and you also deserve to be empowered with all of the knowledge and all of the wisdom and all of the good stuff that comes with being able to wrap your head around money as a concept. If I could share one thing with you when it comes to your finances, it's something that my mum shared with me when I was really young. She has always said, work to live, don't live to work. While we all deserve to have space around our money and not lie awake at night thinking about it, we also deserve to not spend every moment of every day working towards having it and hoarding it and not thinking about anything else. So I ask you for a moment to think about your current financial situation. I understand it might be good, it might be bad, it might be ugly. But just take a second and let it sit with you. Notice how it feels. And then take all of that energy that you're holding in your chest and breathe it out. And then we're going to take a deep breath in and this time our breath is going to be full of the freshness and the lightness that comes with not worrying about money. Ready? Fill those lungs with that fresh air, hold it and then out. One more time we're going to breathe in the good stuff. And we're going to breathe out the worry. And now we're going to have a chat. Thank you for joining me for this week's Mindful Moment. Usually I save the recommendations segment of each episode to the end, but this week there is something I want to get you on and I want to get you on it nice and early. And that is the She's on the Money podcast, which is hosted by Victoria Devine. There are a lot of concepts in that podcast that I will weave through this episode, but I can't go into in great detail because unlike Victoria, and as I've mentioned, I'm not a licensed financial advisor or practitioner. But I do really highly recommend starting with season one, episode one. Annabelle Lee is her co-host and they do an amazing job at delving into all sorts of ideas and concepts and things that we all deserve to wrap our heads around. One of the most important concepts that they speak about really early is our money story. So I had never heard anyone speak about money like this until I listened to that very first episode. They spoke about how we can't choose our money story. We are raised holding beliefs about money and how to make it and how to spend it and how it feels and how it sits with us. All we can do is work out how we want to change that story or hold on to that story as we move forward through life. So I grew up in a family that was not wealthy. We did not have the silver fridge. We did not have a new car. We often probably did not really have enough to get by week to week, but I had the sort of parents who made sure that we didn't recognize any of that. 
I knew that we didn't get new clothes very often and I knew that takeaway was a birthday only kind of treat, but I didn't know much more than that. And as a result, I've kind of found my own way with money and I've always looked at it as something that is important, again, to live, but not something to live for. Another aspect of our money story that feels really important to mention just initially is that we all hold different values with what we want to spend our money on, right? It's just how we barter. It's just how we buy things. And something I've noticed on social media is I get a lot of comments every time I spend money on something that people perceive as girly or feminine or unnecessary. For example, if I shared a particular brand of foundation that I'd been enjoying or I post a photo wearing a new dress, I get comments asking me how much it cost and then when I tell people, they tell me they can't believe I would spend $70 on a foundation and that I am spending my money irresponsibly and should be going down to Coles and buying something there instead. And the truth is that those comments are reflective of those people's money values and what they like to prioritise in their lives and spend their money on. I think there probably is an element of things that are seen as feminine also being seen as quite flippant and quite fluffy, but that's a whole other conversation. The truth is that those people's comments are reflective of their own money values. So I maybe value wearing a dress that I feel beautiful in over buying a new gaming console or a new car or spending money on food or drinks or a night out. And that's not to say that those things are less important than the things that I value. They're just different. So whatever you're spending your money on, I just want to take a leaf out of She's on the Money podcast and the book and everything Victoria Devine says ever and say, that's okay. As long as you're not in a place where you're stressed, it's okay to spend your money on what you want to spend your money on. I've only ever tried to see a financial advisor once in my adult life, or also my whole life. I wasn't going as a small child to try and suss out my future investments. Uh, it did not go well, truth be told. The advisor was referred to us by a family member of my husband, Patrick's, and we went into the appointment all geared up and ready to chat. I did notice that they spent a lot of time looking at Patrick and not any time looking at me, despite the fact that I was the one with the notebook and the questions. And I kind of assumed that maybe that was because his family member had recommended us. There was some existing relationship there. And I put it out of my mind until the end of the session. Then the partners who were in the meeting with us asked if we had any questions for them. I answered, even though they were still looking at Patrick. And I said, yes, Patrick's family member, who, side note, is a woman, is very financially literate and I would love to get to the same place that she is. Are there any resources you could recommend? The men looked at each other and then they looked at me and one of them slowly said, yeah, I don't know, maybe Google money for women? I blinked at him and his partner said, not skipping a beat, yeah, maybe finance for ladies. Patrick and I walked out and Patrick was the first one to burst out laughing, asking if I was going to invest in maybe some nice shoes or a collection of handbags. While I was completely taken aback at the time, uh, we did not return to that financial advisor. 
it turns out they were actually on the money because places like She's on the Money exist to bridge the gap of financial literacy that has for a long time existed between men and women in Australia and across the world. So I really recommend that one. Um, Anyway, let's get on to the sunshiny bits. I've got to admit, I am the sort of friend who can't help but offer advice. Uh, I love when it's solicited. Often it's not, but there's not that much space for you to return conversation to me in a podcast setting. This is what we're working with. We're going to talk about the cash that we've got incoming, how to make more of it, where to find it, maybe some unexpected places to look. We're going to talk about outgoing money, how to rein it in, how to be okay with it, and a couple of hacks to get us to a place that we're feeling okay about. And hopefully you're going to walk away from this episode feeling all kinds of settled about all of it. Okay, first let's talk about money that we have incoming. Now, this looks different for everyone. We don't even have time to get onto the fact that a huge amount of wealth distribution in Australia comes from things like inheritances and generational wealth. Instead, we're going to be talking about the week-to-week, month-to-month, day-to-day kind of stuff that we've all got going on. Let's start with our jobs. So you may have a job in the workforce, you may work for yourself, you may not be in paid employment at the moment. So I can only speak about this quite broadly, but I think it's worth speaking about because it's something that is applicable to a lot of people. Side note, there will be another episode around careers and goals and dreams and all of that, Uh, so I won't talk about that too much, but what I'll say here is if you are working in a job that has any prospects of you earning additional money, be that receiving a pay rise, which can come from looking at the value you add to your workplace and taking that value to your employer, make sure you keep decent records, make sure you look at the sort of results you're achieving, and then be ready to have that conversation or if that looks like working additional hours, whether you get paid overtime, whether you just have some spare time you can give to the cause in exchange for your usual rate, just looking at your job is always a great place to start because even if your job feels like a drag, it will probably take less out of you to put more work into where you're already working and to make more money in that space than it will to delve into some of these other options. Some of these other options are more fun, but it does take probably about 10 times the amount of work every time you start something new. And that is coming from someone who just can't stop starting new things. But let's talk about the more fun stuff. So first up, we have got the side hustle. I know that phrase is throwing it back to the days of boss babe and hustle culture, but I'm talking about selling skills and services outside of your normal working hours. There is an unlimited amount of opportunity here. I'm not about to step into some sort of hyper-motivational, we all have the same amount of hours in the day as Beyonce kind of spiel because we're all living different lives out here. But the truth is, if you have skills, if you know how to offer services, then there are probably people out there who want them. Because as we mentioned at the start of this episode, even if you're doing it tough financially right now, there are people out there who aren't and who would really appreciate trading some of their money for some of your time. So what does this look like in a practical sense? 
This could look like a million different things. A side hustle could be working part-time or even full-time in a nine-to-five traditional role and then working at a place like a cafe or a small business on the weekends or after hours or on a day that you've got off every week. A side hustle could look like walking people's dogs. It could look like doing a letterbox drop or some gardening for your neighbours. And I know that sounds like I'm suggesting some sort of 15-year-old school holiday vibe. But truthfully, if you can find a way to make some extra money that also feels good and fills your cup in other ways, then that's kind of worth its weight in gold. Or it might look like running social media accounts for businesses in your area or writing resumes or teaching drum lessons. If you've got a skill, then you've got something to offer. I babysat and nannied and house sat for a really long time and none of these came from formal qualifications. They were just things that I knew that I could do and I could do well and they made me just enough money or kept a roof over my head for just enough time that it made my life a little bit easier. I do want to offer you a little side note here, and that is that when I talk about a side hustle offering skills and services, I am specifically not talking about product-based businesses. Back in early 2020, when I restarted my candle business, a product-based business was such a good idea because everything was affordable, we had so much time on our hands, everything was quite quick in terms of making their way to us if we needed supplies or materials, but times have changed. It is actually incredibly difficult these days. And sorry, I don't know if this is Sunshine Project E, but it is the truth. It is incredibly difficult these days to make a decent margin on a product-based business, especially if you're manufacturing within your home country, like me in Australia. All of a sudden, you are not swapping an hour of your time writing a resume for $30. You are swapping an hour of your time making beautiful hand-beaded bracelets for $30 minus the cost of the beads, minus the cost of the string, minus the cost of the shipping, and that margin becomes a lot smaller. So we'll talk about this more in the careers episode. While I am absolutely an advocate for making things and selling them and following your heart and following your dreams, because we are talking about money in this case, a product-based business is not something I would recommend in the current landscape. Hopefully that'll change. It'll be back bigger and brighter than ever, but I do want to let you in on that with such kindness and such patience. And we'll talk about it again in the careers episode. Next on the list after our job and our side hustle or side hustles, we have got reselling things that we own. I actually paid rent at my in-law's house for quite a long time by winning things, usually from supermarket giveaways or the radio or online competitions, and then selling them, meeting up with people in car parks and trading them the toasty machine for $10 so that I could put it towards my board. That was not the biggest, smartest business or safety move, but it did keep me going for quite a while. And what I learned along the way is that there are always things that you have that people need. This has become even truer for me in the last few years because I spend a lot of time pouring love into our home and updating things and changing my style and shifting with the winds of change as they go. And something that I've noticed is every time I decide I don't want the bright turquoise peacock chair that's in the corner of the spare room, 
there's someone else who does want it, especially for a decent price. And for that same price, I can get a beautiful mid-century modern cabinet that goes in the living room instead. Not only do I recommend selling things if you want to buy more things, I personally have a one-in, one-out rule when it comes to my clothes. I like to make sure that for every new item of clothing I'm buying, I'm removing one from my wardrobe because otherwise I cannot shut the door and also then I can afford the new things that I'm buying. It kind of helps you detach a little bit from your possessions if you're the sort of person who treasures everything they own for sentimental reasons. It doesn't feel like you're renting things because, you know, they're yours for as long as you'd like them to be, but it is nice to know that if you're in a tight financial situation, there are so many marketplaces you can visit like Facebook Marketplace, Gumtree, Depop, Carousel, Poshmark, even your Instagram stories. If you are in a situation where you need a bit of extra cash, I really recommend having a rummage around, taking stock of what you haven't used or liked or looked at or worn in the last six months or so, and then considering whether you could part with it and how much you would do that for. Before places like Depop existed, I actually used to frequent market stalls. And while they, again, were not the best financial decision because I would put so much love into making my market stall the most beautiful thing you could imagine, hand cutting paper flags for bunting and creating all sorts of beautiful signs and probably spending more than I made in a whole day of trade, they were, again, a great way just to move some of your things along and take in some money for new things. The fourth item on our list is kind of small business specific, but it can really apply to anyone, and that is grants. So if you're in a position at the moment, especially, again, if you're running a small business where you feel like it might be handy to have a little bit of extra cash flow, oh my goodness, I cannot stress enough how highly I recommend looking at your local council, your local government, your local service provider, if you're in something like arts or crafts or performance and seeing what grants are available for you. I won a $5,000 grant when I started up my second business, Chloe Jane Creative, and it was the first time in my life I ever had money for something that I didn't desperately need. With that $5,000, I was able to buy a new laptop and I was able to buy a new mobile phone. The business was in social media and content creation, so those were quite important. And I swear that $5,000 has forever since, I mean, we're talking five or six or seven years down the road, bridged the gap between almost having enough and having just enough, even on my trickiest days in business and in life. It's not just for small businesses. There are lots of grants available for ideas or initiatives or just people who need them. And the truth is when it comes to grants, if people don't take all the money that's on offer, then they don't offer as much money the next year. So if, for example, your local council has $5,000 to give away for community-based initiatives and they give $1,000 to someone who wants to start a community garden and they give $2,000 to somebody who wants to put on a play starring elderly folk in the area, then they look at the $2,000 left over and say, hmm, maybe we'll only offer $3,000 next year because we didn't need all of this. So honestly, it might take a couple of hours of your time, but try and apply for any grants or initiatives that are in your local area or your industry or your wheelhouse and just see how you go. 
Now we're up to number five out of five on our list. And you will note that this list has not covered any long-term options like investments or stocks or bonds because, again, not a financial advisor. And we are talking about making that money quickly, whether we want to tuck it in our back pocket or spend it on an unexpected bill. So five out of five is utilizing the systems that are in place to support us. In 2023, we are really lucky to be able to access help without asking for it specifically because there is so much out there that is set up for us to access if we need to. Yes, on one hand, I'm talking about social services or Centrelink or whatever that looks like in the place that you're listening from. Speaking for myself, I claimed social welfare the entire time I was in university when I was living well below the poverty line, and I fell back on welfare in the form of JobKeeper during the height of COVID, and so I'd really like to take a moment and say I feel no shame in that, and I don't want you to either. Whether it's a parenting payment or a job-seeking payment or rental assistance, there has been long-held shame and embarrassment and hiding away from the fact that welfare exists for us to claim it. And I just want to say, I think that's really outdated. I have claimed welfare a number of times. I may well be in positions in my life where I need to again, and that's okay. That's what it's there for. That's why we pay tax. If you're put off from claiming services like that because you feel like there's so much other political and social baggage tied in with it, I urge you to let that go, focus on your financial well-being, get ready to be on hold for a really long time because those systems still are quite difficult to navigate and know that it's okay. But it's not just government supports and systems in place that can help us if we need help like that. There are also a number of food banks popping up around many major cities and towns in Australia and I imagine across the world. There are now initiatives that send a box of food straight to your door if accessing a food bank is something that's difficult for you because of work or any other situations. There are grow free carts in lots of towns, especially smaller rural or remote communities. That's where if you grow lemons or limes or leeks or have chooks that are laying an abundance of eggs, you can drop off food that you don't need and you can also pick up food that you do need or you do want. And it's not a drop one off, take one home initiative. It's a leave what you don't need, take what you do need. It all comes out in the wash. If that's not something that's set up in the place that you live, or even if it is, I highly, highly recommend looking up Buy Nothing and then Your Suburb on Facebook. These groups are amazing. It's very much a similar initiative, but in these places, you can see people who might post and say, hi, everyone, I've got this high chair that we no longer need because our baby's grown out of it. Please pick up this afternoon. You would then send that person a message and say, oh my goodness, I need a high chair. You drive over, walk over, pick it up, get it dropped off. It's different for everyone, but all of a sudden they've got something off of their plate and you've got it on yours. And there are all sorts of things on these pages from furniture to appliances to food to assistance to plants. I genuinely think you could probably build a whole life just from a page like that. And yeah, I just really highly recommend looking up to see what exists like that in your area and making the most of it. Okay, 
That's our incoming. Again, listen to She's on the Money, who have not sponsored this episode, but do delve into this way further. I especially love their episode on multi-level marketing or network marketing. It's not biased. It's not judgmental. It's not patronizing. And it is a really important message to consider if network marketing and things like it are feeling appealing to you in the current climate. All I'll say is it's a very similar vibe to the product-based business chat that we had a few minutes ago. So thank you, my love, for joining me for part one of our finance chat. On Wednesday, we are going to go through the outgoings. So how to work out what is leaving your bank account, where it is going, how to hold on to it and how to be okay with it when you can't. I can't wait. I'll speak to you then. I love you, good human. Bye.